Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we'll react to Brazil's heavy win over South Korea to book their place in the last day. How ominous a sign is it in terms of their hopes of lifting the World Cup? They'll face Croatia next after they broke the hearts of the Japanese in a penalty shootout. We'll speak to England's James Madison and we'll look ahead to tomorrow's games as Spain take on Morocco and Portugal face Switzerland. This is the game. Hello again, welcome back to the game. I am Hugh Wizencroft uh, tonight alongside Tom Clark and Gregor Robertson as we reflect on mm, a strange day at the World Cup, ups and downs in terms of quality. There were some, some moments, big moments for us to discuss, of course, as Brazil go through after their big victory over South Korea. It went all the way to penalties uh, between Japan and Croatia and it was the Croatians who go through to meet the Brazilians. We'll talk about it, of course in much more detail. Let's start with Brazil, shall we? It was just like watching Brazil. Four goals up at halftime. South Korea, credit to you lads, kept going, won the second half with a wonder goal. But um, but it was all over before it had really started, to be perfectly honest. Two goals in the first sort of, what, 10, 12 minutes, and that was it. Okay, and there was some lovely football in here from Brazil, and I think they sent a very ominous message uh, to the rest of the World Cup, despite South Korea's, you know, clear lack of quality by by comparison, um, because it was ruthless in that first half, Tom Clark. We all loved watching it, and then it became a, a bit like I was grimacing, and you were like, oh no, you didn't want to, you know, you, you want to see some great football, but you don't want to see sides out, down and out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was very strange, and it made me think a lot about how we consume football in general, and particularly tournament football, where we have our favourites, we have our villains, and you think back to that Uruguay heartbreak, which we were all laughing at, Oh, brilliant. Suarez has gone out. We did a cover on the game. You know, there's karma for you. Everyone's laughing. And for that first half, all I could think was, God, I wish Uruguay were in this match. I wish I wish it was Uruguay playing Brazil. I wish it was Diego Godin. I wish it was Benton Kerr. It was all I wanted from that first half was to see a bit of competition. Because, that you know, South Korea have been good in patches. But as I'm sure Gregor is absolutely dying to mention, their tactics were absolutely suicidal at times. I, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing in terms of the way they set up, the way they were flooding forward, and the recovery didn't seem to be there either. But it was it was fantastic. I made a little bet with myself, Hugh, as to whether you were going to say it was just like watching Brazil, and I won. I was pleased. Thank you very much. But it was it was fantastic, and my boy Richarlison showing what a superstar he was. So it it but it, but it was strange. It it did make me think. Yes, we go through these group stages thinking, oh, it's 
God, I really hope there's some underdogs. I really hope there's some shocks. And then you get to these knockout rounds and you don't quite see the spectacle that you're hoping for, partly because of quality, but also, as I say, partly because of the tactical choices that um, South Korea made, I felt. Yeah, it was, I mean, I think Ali McCoy summed up. I think he said it was uh, bordering on insane. <laughs> um, like there was six players in the opposition's half for great swathes of the game. I mean, you can, on one hand, you could say it was brave, but it was, it was kind of lunacy at the same time because Brazil just kept cutting through them at will. It could have been seven or eight in the first half. But for all that's true, we still have to say that the goals, some of the goals were just like absolutely joyous. Let's take out the penalty immediately out of the equation because that was an absolute nonsense from every perspective, from Richarlison going down in the first place to anyone actually with any sort of power that that should be a penalty kick. I mean, what what are we come to when it's like a flick on his toenail? Anyway, I'm so pleased you said that though. No, but I'm very pleased you said that because I was sat there watching it and I was kind of sat next to my girlfriend on the sofa thing and tutting and she's going, what? what are you tutting at? And I'm like, no, it doesn't matter. But I couldn't understand why we weren't looking more closely at it. There was barely a touch. And I know Richarlison's been clever in terms of making that move. We see forwards do it quite a lot. But there was also the incident, the end of the first half, where I think it was uh, Militao maybe, who just used, you know, used the body to block off a Korean forward going into the box. And there was far more contact. It was an actual like body check on him. And yet that, that, that is never given as a penalty. And yet, as you say, Gregor, I, I found myself thinking, no, 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 don't bring, it, don't bring it up. Don't bring it up. We want to talk about Brazil and how brilliant they are. Don't bring it up. But I'm glad you did. So there you go. I'm, and I'm glad you agree with me. That's, that's a huge Yeah, reason. I mean... Uh, you know, but we should just park it because it, it didn't matter in the great in the kind of grand scheme. Of no, 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 no. Okay, no. let's, let's <laughs> at least let's get at least it. let me say something before you park it. <laughs> okay. I mean, come on, the VAR maestro, maestro is in the house. Take the floor, Hugh. No, no, I'm not going to complain too much about it. Otherwise, I just want to say I've said it many times before on the podcast. Penalty decisions should be an automatic review. The referee should have to. I don't care what the decision was, whether it was blatant or not, go and have a look at the screen. As far as I'm concerned. It doesn't matter if it's automatic or not. I mean, who who are the who is the VAR if he's not saying go and have a look at this or actually, sorry, you've made a howler. Like one of those yeah. two things at least. So it doesn't matter whether it's like mandatory to say go and have a look at the monitor. It, it, whoever's job it is to say to look at that. And there is someone whose job it is. But, yeah, it's just but, but failed miserably. No, but obviously that removes that element. It, you know, like you don't have to. You don't have to worry about there being someone inept in the VAR seat for penalty decisions because they have to look at them. So you don't have to worry about someone saying, "Oh, should I call him over or not?" Like he just goes over and has a look, or she just goes over and has a look. Like, like that's just it. And possibly, I think that will help. Seen, possibly, but we've seen some referees go over and look at things already in this tournament and and give them. But do you know what? I think that's okay. But I think that's okay. I think the referee has seen it in real time, gone over to the screen, seen it again. If they still give a terrible decision, we can say fair, fairly and squarely on the referee, you don't know what you're doing and hopefully they no longer referee at this level anymore. <laughs> but, but, but no, but seriously, but I think no, when you have the I two... Mean- in this scenario now, what happens? The referee might see this afterwards and think, oh, you could have helped me out. I don't think that's a penalty. You could have at least brought me over. Why have that? Like, why have the referee maybe saying to the VAR official, you're not good enough. FIFA saying, oh, you know what? We need to work on our VAR. Like, just go over and check it. And I, and I, and I believe the same thing for straight red cards because I think penalties and straight red cards can change games. So I think if you give out a straight red, you should just jog straight over check it out on the screen, make sure you're sure. 
And that's it. Like for those two things, I think they're so big. I think you should have to just, this well, should look, be mandatory. Well, look, you didn't, it didn't work for Chesney's uh, foul in inverted commas on Me- on Messi. So it's, there's no, there appears to be no f- like fail safe, no full, no foolproof pr- uh, plan. Like we were, Listen, Some, something happens they, to these guys when they're in the, in the middle of the park, or the like, the pressures on them, or whatever. And anyway, but please, we, we we can't we can't spend too long no, thinking about no, this. No, no, we after can't. After the performance we just seen in that first half, particularly because, as I said. It was so easy for them to be cut open, but when they when they got in the positions, we still saw some majestic stuff. I mean, Vinicius Junior's first uh, his finish was so composed and calm, yep. like just it was almost like a little clip into the top corner. You know, they didn't even feel they had to put any, you know, really put any power behind it. He just I'm going to clip it, pass it into the corner there in the right spot exactly, and then come on, Marquinhos and Silva's little first touch. Uh, sorry, first time passing move zipped into Richarlison, his touch in the finish, and then Vinicius Junior's flick as well I'm, for uh, for Paquetas. I mean, they were all exquisite goals. I'm not. Uh, there's a bit of kind of political movement there from Gregor to ignore Richarlison doing keepy uppies with his head, then showing great strength. <laughs> like you've deliberately like left that bit out. Putting two, two cracking passes together. <laughs> deliberately left that out. Unbelievable. But you are right. They are all wonderful goals. What One thing I was interested by, and I'm surprised you haven't mentioned it yet, Gregor, is they, they, they wouldn't, didn't need to show this, but how good are Brazil defensively in terms of their like work rate, in terms of their how they get back into the defensive shape? Yeah. They're pressing. Charleston ran back, made a, a tackle on the halfway line. I think they were 4 0 up already. And I was just like, they're ridiculous. It was relentless. They I think ridiculous. I can't, I'm not sure whether the, which commentator it was quote, quoted a kind of stat about, you know, barely, barely any goals conceded in the last ludicrous amount of matches. And I mean, to me, that, I mean, how good did Casemiro look as well? Hugh, you must be excited about that prospect of him coming back to United and showing any kind of form like that. I thought, Gregor, you must have been loving Militao and Danilo as kind of tough fullbacks. They look superb in terms of not just closing people down and going forward. That's the kind of typical stereotype about Brazilian fullbacks. They're great going forward. They look so tough defensively. And this will obviously be the game when we talk about it's just like watching Brazil and wonderful goals. But I thought as a complete team performance as well, it was pretty, pretty ominous. You know, I would absolutely agree with that. And I'd I'd add, I'd add Rafinha into that mix as well, the way he's tracking back sometimes to kind of help out defensively. Paquita as well looks like, you know, West Ham haven't seen, they definitely haven't seen the best of him yet. And I think they should be quite excited because he's, you know, he's got all the all the kind of the flair and the the creativity, but he's he puts in a shift as well. That, absolutely. And, that, you know, all the things we said at the start of the tournament about if they're able to marry the, the kind of Brazilian flair and creativity with the, what has now become a kind of European influence on their football, then they're in with a right good chance. And we, I think we probably saw the best evidence of that in the game tonight. One thing I'd have to say is, just quickly, is that South Korea actually, you know, even when they went two goals down really quickly, Wang had a great strike that Alisson tipped over. He went past Militao once in the byline, really narrow angle and shot. I'm not saying I can see why they did what they did, but they, they did actually fashion some opportunities and, and they didn't let their heads drop until the kind of third and fourth arrived before half time and then obviously the game's over. I thought, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a complete embarrassment for them as the scoreline might suggest. 
I think one of the intriguing things about Brazil going forward is even watching tonight, I thought, you know what? A bit like England, they've played with a midfield one holder. You've got Neymar and Pakatar. And yeah, you can control possession. You can make all chances. You can, you know, Neymar doing his normal tricks. And he's a, he's just a wonderful player, even when he's not playing out wide. But, you know, I still looked at him and thought, oh, is he going to have the work rate against, you know, the top midfields? And I actually thought, well, do you know what? They are only doing this because... You know, they feel that if they get on the front foot against uh, a team like South Korea, they will score goals. And that's exactly what they did. So it will be intriguing to see what they do going forward, because we had always said in the build up that a pragmatic Brazil is what they were. They had the two sitters and they have had that a lot during qualification. You know, Casemiro or Fred um, alongside him. It might be uh, Bruno Bruno Gimaresh um, as well. Like they've got a few in their squad that can play a little bit deeper in midfield and be very, very good there. So what happens with Neymar? I think you have to obviously play him, but whether Pakita stays in will be an interesting one uh, going forward if they play sides who you perceive will finish off the chances that maybe other teams like South Korea fashioned at times today. But yeah, I mean, they were just, they were just incredible. And it was, you know, you, you watch it, you watch France's performance and you think it's the front four, it's the front four for France, it's the front four for for Brazil who can just, just about do what they want at this point in time. Like Richarlison is just hardworking, he's quick enough, he's got that, that um that final finish at the moment as well he's got a goal in him you know he always looks like he's sniffing out a goal even without Gabriel Jesus there for the rest of the tournament I think Richarlison's going to be hard to stop down the middle and he's been good for Brazil down the middle Rafinha who didn't even have his best game but just still had an element of quality and Vinicius Jr who's just sort of relentlessly forward thinking um very very hard to stop so you know and, and the other thing I wanted to highlight I think was Allison I know you mentioned that the save but just generally he d- just looks incredibly hard to beat at the moment you know when you're watching a goalkeeper a bit like Courtois throughout the Champions League and you just thought even if you do get a chance you know I think he had a stop from uh, Son when he pretty much looked like he was going to roll it in the bottom corner and he just managed to save it and you just thought yeah, I mean, he, he's, you know, he's not conceding many goals in this tournament. And that's it. if he didn't already have a great defence and midfield in front of him, you know, it's going to be really tough to, to put Brazil to bed. Let's call it that. So um, very positive from Brazil as they go into the quarterfinals and they will take on Croatia. Before we get there, though, I do want to ask a question that caused some debate. The celebration police were out in force. Roy Keane, in particular, not happy. He literally said that. Not happy. I agree to an extent. You know, the first goal, the second goal, you know, got that Samba feeling. Fantastic. Fourth goal, you're like, guys, it's not even half time. You know, uh, you've buried them already. And it wasn't even that they were dancing. Like, I thought it was cool to dance. It just went on for ages. And I was a bit like, all right, it's not the carnival. Like, there are people waiting for you to get on with the game. And and disrespect, no, I don't think it was that far. But I do think, like, guys, come on, give it 30 seconds, get back, let's start the game again. It was a good two minutes. I just thought it was a bit much. I've got to say, I don't think you can agree with Roy Keane to an extent. You either Roy- agree with Roy Keane or you don't agree with Roy Keane. If he was here now, Hugh, he wouldn't be letting you have... I agree with you to an extent. <laughs> uh, I, I disagree completely. I mean, it's the World Cup, one of my favourite World Cup memories. I went to South Africa uh, as a fan straight out of university. I was in Cape Town in a fan zone watching as Shabalala scored the, their opening goal in the opening game. The place went absolutely wild and they, the, the, the thing there was four of them did an absolutely wonderful silky smooth dance move and that was the first game of the tournament and they were only 1-0 up. Yeah, like, but it wasn't I, the fourth goal. It wasn't the fourth goal before I'm half not, time. I'm not being funny. Like, but context like, matters. I'm not saying no better. one should celebrate. That's even better. Keep, saying, keep doing it. 
keep keep doing it. Keep dancing. New dance move every goal. If you're going to score four goals, let's be honest, keep dancing. Like, happy days. It's clearly a kind of, uh, I don't know, a common, it's, it's what they're going to do every time they score. They get somebody in the middle as well and they kind of dance around them. It's like, that's 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 what they're going to do. That's a little move that they've clearly been working on. I, I don't care. Like, they're having fun. They're having great fun. I don't, like, I don't know why you'd be offended by that in any way. Like, if I don't, and I'm pretty certain that South Korea won't be. They'll be offended. They'll be offended by like how good they were. <laughs> they won't be offended by the celebrations after they scored each goal. Like if it was another nation that wasn't Brazil too, like you know, I don't know if it was Croatia. You think, hang on, this is, seems a bit out of <laughs> no, slightly unusual. But it's Brazil too. We kind of we expect this from them. We expect the fun and. And all, everything that they bring, the colour, and I've got absolutely no problem with that whatsoever. I don't care how stiff the pro- Croatian players are. I don't care if the likes of Dejan Lovrum and, and Josko <laughs> Gavardiol need to do a waltz in the corner flag, all right, together. I don't care. They better have something planned for when they that score be against be Brazil. Good. Because believe me, Brazil are going to celebrate when they score against Croatia and they need to be ready. It ain't just a, Do you know what? I honestly think there's a psychology to it as well. I think it does. It, it, it hammers home the point to the opposition that you're, you're not going to win this. It's almost like not only are we scoring goals against you, we're having a party. Like you have absolutely no chance here. We, we, we're just enjoying ourselves. And it obviously bleeds into the crowd. They absolutely love it. The atmosphere goes up. And yeah, I almost think, look, obviously it's part of the football culture. We've seen plenty of great Brazilian sides celebrate their goals with inventive stuff and and entertaining cultural stuff. So it is part of it. But I do think it does feed into the psyche of, of footballers these days. But anyway, look, well worth their victory. My dad's just messaged me. I don't know what sort of analogy this is. He says, Brazil went to the, sh- the supermarket except everything was free. I don't know what sort of analogy that is, but okay. Um, I like won. Get Com- him on. Comfortable. What's, he doing on, what's he doing on Friday? Get him on. <laughs> Let's talk about Croatia, Japan, shall we? Um, the Croatians, I wonder what sort of prospect they will be for Brazil next time around because the game today, there were elements of it that you you only thought there was going to be one winner, particularly at 1-0 up, you thought Japan could go on and get another goal. I thought they played really well for about the first hour. And then you kind of felt that the game died out after Perisic's equaliser. Croatia felt a little bit more comfortable. There were times, particularly in extra time, where it was like, oh, they both want penalties here. The penalties were atrocious from Japan. I actually predicted 4-1 in the shootout. I don't even know if that's possible. But I messaged a mate to say, Croatia won't miss. Japan have absolutely no chance here. And I was watching the shoot. Honestly, there is... I don't want to feel like an old British person or, you know, someone who's stuck in the dark ages. I don't know what you tell your mates. Say say you have a shootout, Sunday league, five aside. I mean, I've always told my mates, smash it in the bottom corner at five aside. Just make sure you hit the bottom corner with pace. But that's because no one can die if the keepers can't move like in Sunday league. Let's be honest. It's in the back of the net before they've even realized which direction it's gone in. Five aside, smash it as hard as you can. Elevens at a professional level, if you're not a penalty taker, do you try and jink the goalkeeper? Like, what are you doing? Like, you, you're waiting for the goalkeeper to go down when you haven't taken a penalty in your life and you're a centre-back or you're trying to pass it in the bottom corner. What happened to Stuart Pearce, 96, taking the absolute <laughs> leather off it? What happened to that? I just expected Japan to go, look, we're not, we're not going to be great from the spot. Just hit it as hard as you can. That's it make the goalkeeper make a save don't pass the ball to them and it was just I was heartbroken by it because you know I I thought they would do well 
And I actually thought they could go through on penalties. You know, it hit me hard when I saw that the the Japanese goalkeeper at one set piece. I thought they're going to be confident, Croatia. Um, I just I just felt it at that point in time, and I was I was sad in the end. But I was I was particularly sad, Gregor, that the game wasn't that entertaining. You know, it's a knockout game. I wanted it to be end to end, chance after chance. There was quality on both sides, but. You never felt, in, even in extra time, that either side was really going for it. No, I think by that stage, it, it was a, a case of settling for penalties. You're right, Japan Japan in the first half were, you know, they really took the game to, to Croatia. They, they, Maeda, I mean, crikey, he puts a shift in. I watched them, you know, I've seen him play for Celtic in the Champions League this season. I've seen him put a shift in like that, but I've also seen him miss chances or you know he's great at getting in the in the in the positions his movement's brilliant but he's not necessarily someone who's going to be prolific so i was really pleased to see the ball fall to him you know right place right time and he was able to dispatch it and you thought from then you know croatia kind of grew a little bit but without actually showing that much urgency or you know the same kind of pace that they played with um in previous games and then even the goal even the equalizer came from nothing like it was a, a ball swung into the box by Lovren. From one way, one side you could say it was a good cross. From the other side, you could say it was kind of it was a bit short, a bit under hit, and it just happened that Perisic was running onto him. What a, it was a magnificent header! But as I say, it came from nothing. But you, even when that happened, you kind of think Croatia seemed to always find a way to do this. They're a really resilient team that find a way. I know that's a cliche, but that's that just seems to be what they do, and they did it in the penalty kicks as well. So it, it's hard to say that they deserve to go through from this, but in the end they found a way and that's what they've done in tournament football consistently now for quite a quite a while. That's what I felt was the difference, to be perfectly honest, that Croatia had the experience of managing the situation. It didn't really get to them. Remember, of course, they reached the World Cup final having played, I think it was three, three rounds worth of extra time in 2018. So they definitely know their way around uh, managing 120 minutes, but um, they're battle-hardened. Like, I think that was it. They just kind of, they never let the situation get to them. Um, and there was a, a sort of ease to it. Maybe that was just me reading too much into it, but I definitely felt they were, they used their experience um, in knockout football to, to get them through. Tom, how did you see it? Yeah, I thought it was one of the most uh, experienced international performances I've ever seen. We use experience a lot, don't we, to describe teams um, and the way of winning games. And it just looked. I thought Japan was a better better side for most of the game. I was I was fully prepped. I've got my notes here. I was ready to come on. I even thought the Gonda in goal was pretty composed in extra time. I liked the way he kept coming for crosses with a smile on his face. Endo in midfield. I thought he was brilliant. Gregor, as he's already picked out, Maeda. I thought Asano coming on. I was all ready to be like, yes, Japan. So pleased they got through. And then the penalties came round. And again, I found myself thinking, what if this had been Germany v Croatia? Would this have been a better game? Would we have more to talk about? Would we be seeing a better spectacle? From Croatia's point of view, I mean, the the absolute confidence of the manager to take off Modric and Perisic before a penalty shootout, it was almost like he knew they were going to win. And he was like, right, better get these guys off because we're going to have a quarterfinal to prepare for. It's, I, I half wonder whether psychologically Japan would have looked at that and gone, hang on a minute, what? they're taking Modric off? What What the hell does that mean? Hang on a minute, like it, that can completely blew my mind a little bit, to be honest. Because you, you know, imagine England in a penalty shootout in that scenario, taking Harry Kane off. There's, just, there's absolutely no way. And Luka Modric is probably top three penalty takers in that Croatian team. He probably would have either gone first or fifth if he'd been on the pitch. I thought psychologically that was fascinating. And as you say, Hugh, it's that composure and confidence uh, and experience. 
I thought my mate Marcelo Brozovic was superb in midfield again. And it, it was just that thing of where Japan kept coming and coming and Croatia felt like the perfect team to stop Japan who had done so well against Spain and Germany in those games. Croatia felt like the perfect team to stop them from doing exactly that. And from that point of view, when you look ahead to the to the quarterfinal, they're arguably the perfect test for Brazil to see what they're all about because there ain't no way Croatia are going to be flying out in playing a 4-2-4 against Brazil, that's for sure. I don't know if Croatia are dynamic enough to beat this Brazilian team, to be perfectly honest. Um, they're a, a structured side. Um, they keep the ball well in midfield, obviously, as you'd expect. They haven't really, in, in the forward positions, got top quality, some good players but not top quality. Um, Perisic has actually played far better than he's played for Spurs for his country in this tournament. He's been very good in my opinion, a lovely goal today. But otherwise, even defensively, then you start to think, look, Gvardiol's 20 years old, Lovren's at the other end of his career. And uh, Juranovic, Gregor, just remind me of how things went between Real Madrid and Celtic in the Champions League. Vinicius versus Juranovic. Can't quite remember. 8-1 on aggregate over two games? There's no need for that. There's yeah, that's, no need. That's a low blow, to be honest. That's really just, low. He's had to put up with a whole tournament of England going to win it, and now you're throwing that in his face as well. That's low. <laughs> that, is, that is a mismatch for me, a big mismatch. So um, I, I think Croatia I th- will struggle. I think the control you, you mentioned, though, is important. Like, if you're playing against Brazil, there's got to be periods of the game where you you have possession, you keep the ball and you keep it away from them. And we've mentioned that they how, how hard they work to win it back very quickly. I think we've got to say that Croatia's midfield in particular will be as, as good as any at, you know, manipulating it and buying space and time and keeping the ball around at the back a little bit as well, I think. So that, that will be important, but I, I kind of agree with you in terms of the dynamism going forward. It's just, I, I think they will try and make it as kind of as bitty a game and they'll be trying to be as obdurate as possible basically and as I said before they'll try and find a way to, to get a goal be it through a set piece be it through a kind of a moment like a, I don't know something something moment of magic from Modric or I, I, I even I, I've actually quite liked Levaya when he's been on the pitch as well in the games he's played so I think he's got a bit of something different a bit of menace almost and Although he's not kind of, he still doesn't fall into a kind of dynamic category. He he, he offers something different for them, and I, I think they're probably been better when he's been in the team. So I, ho- I hope to see him get a game um, in that one. But it's going to be a tough ask, there's no doubt, after seeing Brazil's Brazil's form tonight. Yeah, I just think uh, the way that Brazil attacked, the one-touch movements, the fluidity, the fun that they had as well. I just think they take so much positivity into the next game. I can't see. Croatia coming through it I would you know I could easily be wrong um, but I think it's a big big ask now for, for for anyone to beat Brazil I think they sent a really ominous sign that they could well be the eventual winners of the World Cup tonight I thought it was that good in the first half you know you can say South Korea of course aren't the quality that they're going to meet on the way through but still you know it was like a knife through hot butter at times so you know a very Listen. ominous sign Listen, we can wax lyrical about Brazil all day, but we need a quick word on Dejan Lovren's David Beckham impression, don't we? One heavy touch, out the feet, right-footed, whipped into the box. That was superb. If Harry Maguire had pulled that off, we'd be absolutely delighted. Brazil might be good, but they're no Dejan Lovren from the right wing, let's be honest. Gregor, you'd have been delighted if you'd whipped in a cross no, like that, I just you? said, I just said, I'm not sure whether it was a good cross or a bad cross. Oh, it was delightful. The header made it delightful. The header was delightful. The header was incredible, in fact. It, you know, there was nowhere else it could go. It was brilliant because that's a that's a, such a difficult skill when it's coming from that side as well. You're almost kind of having to cut across the ball and get power on it. It was a brilliant header. So you know, 
small uh, small bit of credit goes to Dejan Lovren, but most of it goes to Perisic. Sorry, Tom. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And now, gentlemen, before we move on, I do want to talk about England just a little bit. I went to the camp today, saw training, no Callum Wilson, minus strain for him. It was only the players who uh, didn't start the game in the 3-0 win over Senegal that puts them through to face France at the weekend. Um, everyone looked really positive around the England camp. I was very fortunate. I was able to sit down with James Madison. Uh, of course, he hasn't played a minute so far at this tournament, missed the first couple of games for injury. He has been available for the last two. I did ask him about the situation involving Raheem Sterling, of course, who's flown home to take care of his family, if you like, after that uh, break-in at his home. I started by talking about the, the mood and positivity around the camp after that victory. Everyone's buzzing, and uh, and rightly so as well. What a what a positive performance. What a, what a brilliant night for the nation. Everyone back home, everyone here. And uh, the atmosphere is brilliant at the minute, yeah, and, um, and rightly so, yeah. How are you feeling personally after the injury? And your chances of being involved possibly at the weekend or deeper into this tournament? Well, I am involved. I'm here, you know. Involvement isn't always necessarily minutes on the pitch. And I think that's probably something I've learned uh, in the last last few weeks of, of being out here. Of course, every player wants to play and I'm no different. I'm, I'm desperate to get out there and, and show what I can do. But um, it's one of them, my first major tournament, uh, senior level and... 
it's brilliant to be a part of you know it's 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 such a learning curve and you gain so much experience without even realizing just on a day-to-day basis of uh, of how it works what what it takes to be successful and and we have been successful so far what a brilliant performance last night a really convincing convincing win against a good Senegal team in the in, in the knockouts so um I'm feeling good. The injuries, the injuries gone. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling 100%. I've been training for a while now. I've been available for the last couple of games. So um, just about staying patient, staying ready, which I am, working hard and, and trying to be an option for the manager if needed. Yeah. Do you get a specific role, you guys, who maybe don't start the games in terms of a message over if you get on the pitch, this will be your specific role. We know Gareth Southgate spoke about finishers. It's a term used a lot in, in rugby. Do you get a specific instruction? No, there's no specific instruction like that, but we're professionals, we know how it works. Even if you're not starting the game when the team when the team when we get told the team when the team's announced and, and you're not in the start eleven, it's about having that professionalism and that and that unselfishness to, to prepare and be ready as if you are starting, you know, and, and that sometimes can be difficult because every player wants to play and every player wants to represent represent England at the World Cup. But only eleven can play and there's twenty six of us, so um you gotta you gotta put that aside and almost train and, and, and prepare as if you are playing because when called, if called upon, you need to be ready to go in and have that impact, whether it's ten minutes off the bench, thirty minutes in extra time, you never know when that chance is gonna be and you have to be ready, so the sad news in the camp, obviously, with what's happened to Raheem Sterling. Ben White had to leave the camp earlier on. Have you used it as added motivation? Is it as a message from the leadership group to do it for them? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously not going to go into the details, sending my best to both both of them uh, as we all are. Um, but yeah, they're part of the group. They're, they're part of the 26, two brilliant characters and, and, and two that will be missed not, not being here at the minute. But um, yeah, yeah, we're all in it together, all 26 of us and staff. Any personal worries when you read the story regarding Raheem in terms of, you know, you've got a young family, you're away from home. Does it enter your mind that, you know, of course your family at risk your home at risk as well and that you might need to like others have take extra precautions oh yeah like I said I'm not I'm not going to go into the details about it and I don't think anyone anyone should I think we should respect Raheem and and, and his family at this time but um, of course it's not nice to read Raheem's a brilliant a brilliant guy a brilliant character around the group and and like I said everyone's sending our best we've all sent him a message just to make sure he's okay at this time it's obviously difficult um but yeah, it's obviously not nice and, and, and something that I'd never wish upon anyone. And and, and yeah, it's, it's as a young, as you said, a young man with a, with a family of my own, it, it's horrible to see stuff like that happens, but it does happen and you do have to take their measures and that's just the world we live in, unfortunately. Let's look ahead then to what is a mouth-watering clash against France in the quarterfinals of the World Cup. I mean, it's incredible. It must be the stuff that you dream of uh, as a kid. Um, it, there's been debate amongst fans, you know, what are England going to do next? Are we going to puff our chests out and go for it? I think fans have been so happy uh, with the 4-3-3 being on the front foot, but then we see the risks of the likes of, of Kylian Mbappe. What do you think England will do? Stick their chests out against the French and go for it? Yeah, one thing that I've been very impressed by the manager, Gareth, is, is how much he wants us to be a front foot team. And he, and he says it a lot, which is um, having not been in the setup for for a few years and, and seeing sometimes playing five at the back because we obviously had success in that and we're pretty solid but get a real feel from Gareth that he wants to be a front foot team and he, a pressing team an attacking team which is brilliant for, for all of us and, and, and brilliant for the for the fans watching and the fans back home 
So I think it is puff our chest that time to, to win a World Cup. You obviously you have to beat the best and, and France, the, the current reigning champions and look very, very threatening going forward. Um, so it's puff our chest that time. And, and like you said, these are the moments that, that you want to be involved in and that you dream of being involved in when you're a young kid. So uh, can't wait, yeah. How do we think England are going to stop Kylian Mbappe then? Because he's playing brilliantly, as we've seen, five goals already heading towards being the player of the tournament, but we certainly don't want him to be heading towards the semi-finals. Well, yeah, he's obviously a, he's a fantastic player, one of the best in the world. So um, I'm sure we'll we'll prepare right to try and stop him. Kyle Walker started at right back uh, in the game against Senegal, and he's one of the best and one of the best fullbacks in the world. I think if anyone can can do a job, it's it's him. But listen, France have a lot of threats. It's not just Kylian Mbappe. They're, they're a brilliant team and that's why they're reigning champions. So they've, we've got a lot to be wary of. But the tactical work that we do and the staff here and the, and the work that goes in in the background uh, that, that people don't see will, will leave us in good stead, hopefully. And hopefully we can progress, yeah. What would it mean to you, finally, to get out on the pitch and be a part of that game in any way that you can? It'd mean everything, like, to be honest. Yeah, of course. That's, what, that's why we're here. That's, why, that's what dreams are made of. And I know it's cliche to say that, but... The World Cup is the is the pinnacle, and uh, I'd love to be involved in and one that that's like I said, you you prepare and you train, and you've got to keep pushing, training hard to to show the manager that you're ready if called upon. And if there's a situation where where he thinks that I'll be able to go and do a job, I'm I'm sure I'll be I'll be confident and have the quality to go and do that. And uh, hopefully that chance will come my way. Okay, that was me uh, in the England camp a little bit earlier on speaking to Leicester and England uh, midfielder James Madison. We'll see if he gets any involvement against France at the weekend. Massive game for England, of course. We'll bring you a couple of special shows ahead of that one. Um, But before we get there, let's talk about tomorrow's matches, Tom and Gregor at Morocco against Spain. I'll be covering this one as well. Luis Enrique, I love this. Let me tell you about this. Luis Enrique has gone on Twitch to do a Q&A with fans. He basically said, look, all you know about me is what you read in the media. So here's the real me. He says, I'm going to answer any question you want. He said, I know they're all going to be about sex, but aside from that, I'll answer any question that you want. You know, it was an interesting, eye-opening, um, revealing thing that he did. And I think that that almost underlines what he's like as a coach. You'll remember that he was my number one to take over at Manchester United. Yes, I would have waited until after the World, after the World Cup because I think he's just a superb coach, almost too good to be in international football, if you know what I mean. Should be seeing his teams each and every week. But yeah, as they go into a game as big favourites against Morocco, I just think they have personality, Spain, and, and I think it comes from him. Gregor? He's certainly got personality. <laughs> I mean, he's uh, he's mad as a box of frogs at some at times. He's like, you know, some of the th- yeah, as you say, it was, it was it was an interesting idea of you know to to do this and as as you say, let the fans see the real him. But some could see it as a distraction too, because as you say, some of the questions he's been that have been thrown up have been slightly left field. But I also like the way he said he, he didn't. Well, I don't know if I liked it or not. He said that I'm not I'm I'm not really worried about the result. <laughs> you know, sorry, you're 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 just uh, going into first knockout game at a World Cup. I think that should be the the number one thing you're worried about. But you know, he just keeps talking about the process, about the way he wants his team to play, about a sort of how he feels this compulsion to entertain. That's an in- entertainment industry, things like this. I mean, I admire it, but I wouldn't want to hear my manager saying it uh, before before I was about to play in a in a World Cup last sixteen game. So. 
he's certainly interesting and his team have been extremely interesting. I think obviously the second half against against Japan threw us all. And up until that point, they'd been the best, probably looked the best coach team and undoubtedly were the, the most kind of possession dominant and suffocating. That's the word I keep reaching for. I couldn't imagine playing against a team like that who just dominate the ball so much and you, you really can't get a sniff for huge swathes of the game. And I think it's going to be the true of it's going to be true against Morocco again. So they're going to have to find a way to... They have defended very well and they've got threats on the break. So they're going to have to find a game plan that's going to find a way to hurt Spain probably on the break. Yeah, I, I enjoyed his quotes, Tom. Have a listen to this. Uh, never forget, this is a show often we're obsessed with winning. We believe there are more options to win by playing well, by using a style that is entertaining for both the player and the spectator. I believe in football, we seem to have lost our way. The first thing coaches should be taught that is that this is a show and a spectacle. There are 50,000, 100,000 people in the stadium, millions watching at home. They're important and they're an important part of what we do. We play for them, so why bore them? I mean, there speaks a lad who didn't grow up watching football in League Two in England, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> or play it. Or play it, yeah. Didn't, well, you didn't want to say it, mate, but yeah, absolutely. Um, listen, fair, like, good on him. If that's your aspiration, I do think uh, with not just my football league hat on, but it, in for being firmly in the camp that it it is a it's a game. It's about winning. Um, I find it slightly strange. I don't know whether he's trying to be too cool. I always thought he was quite. I already thought he was quite cool. Thought he was quite well dressed on the touchline. Thought he was quite a cool guy. Chill out, Louis. You don't need to do all this. You don't need to do all this. We already think you're cool, mate. Don't worry. I, but I do. I do think it'll be interesting because in terms of whether any of that attitude translates onto the pitch at all, because they're playing a team who operate at a in high intensity in terms of the way they play, in terms of the emotions that they show on the pitch. It's a, it's a cliche, but there's your team talk for you type thing for the Moroccan side. I, I do wonder whether they'll be doing some of those quotes in the dressing room themselves, not just like you did, Hugh. So I, and I, I'm more out of hope than expectation, but I'm, I'm backing Morocco to, to cause a bit of an upset. Whether they'll win or not, I don't know, but they'll give them a good game. And I'm really hoping that they do because of some of the themes I've talked about tonight about watching South Korea and wishing it was Uruguay, about watching Japan in that penalty shootout and thinking, should it have been Germany? Would that have been better for the tournament? Would that have been better for us watching right now? And it's the same thing. The difference is that Morocco were perhaps consistently excellent. It wasn't a kind of final group game sneak through. They were great in the group stages and I really hope they show that um, on the knockout stage. Yeah, they've only conceded one goal in their last seven games, Morocco. It's like a home uh, ground when they play here in Qatar. They have so many fans supporting them. And I think, yeah, they, they may well have to run and run and run and run and chase the ball. But actually, I think they'll be motivated to do so by the fact that they will have tens of thousands of fans uh, screaming and cheering every time they touch the ball and hissing every time Spain have it. I also have my concerns over the goalkeeper of Spain. I, I love Rodri as a player, not as a centre-half. Not that he's particularly put a foot wrong in this tournament, but you can see that his natural instinct is not to play there. And eventually, they will need a recipe for that. I don't know if, if they will have their first-choice centre-back back. But, yeah, I think that's a game that I'm not going to say could go either way. It's definitely in Spain's favour. But if Morocco came through, I wouldn't be hugely shocked um, because they're a very solid, strong side and they've shown that so far in this tournament. They are not to be dismissed at all. Um, and yeah, it's not a perfect Spanish side. You know, if Morata has one of his wasteful days, it, things could be very, very difficult. So we're, we're going to see how that one pans out. The other games, he's Portugal and Cristiano Ronaldo take on Switzerland, which for me is maybe 
the most closely matched game that we've had so far in the last 16. I've watched Portugal in the flesh twice at this tournament. They are okay. They're an okay side for me. Um, they're a six out of 10. And Switzerland are maybe a six and a half, seven out of 10. This for me has the quality of a, a semi-final at the Euros, you know, a, a difficult one to call. How do you see it, Tom? I, I would agree with your assessment of Portugal, but I would see it slightly differently in that I feel like they've been quite stunted, a bit limited. I, I've, I have a slight fascination with the idea that that is because of Ronaldo being in the team and you have some of these players like Bernardo Silva, Cancelo, Bruno Fernandes um, and Rafael Leao off the bench who every time he's come on has looked incredibly bright uh, and dynamic um, and you just kind of wonder what would they be like if they had a kind of fluid forward line and it wasn't all geared towards this figurehead player. So yes, I do think we might see a little bit more from Portugal in the sense that they're in the knockout stages now. I wonder whether some of those players might come to the party a little bit because I agree with you about six out of 10, but I don't think that's their limit. I don't think they're, they're showing their full capability as a team. Um, and I think, and I hope, again, got a lot of hopes going into this this round of knockout games tomorrow, but I've got a hope that we see a little bit more from Portugal because when you look at the team on paper, they've got a lot, I think, to offer. Um, and I'm hoping that your six out of 10 assessment is because they've been holding something back. Yeah, they're holding back their wingers and, and the width in the team. They, they're trying to play yeah. diamond to get in Bernardo Silva and Bruno Fernandes. And I just think they look a better side if they play a 4-2-3-1. And that one is Ronaldo. But I think that's perfectly acceptable because if you have someone like Liao, who's been great off the bench, um, marauding down the left, Horta, who impressed in the last game, looked really quick and incisive um, on the right-hand side. And, you know, he's an experienced player, even if he's not experienced in an international shirt. I think that looks a better Portugal and maybe have Bruno Fernandes as a 10. Um, and you can have two sitters there. And I think they would look a lot more solid and give, I think, a lot more room to the, the attacking players to rotate. I think at the moment, Bernardo Silva is, is almost carried. Like he doesn't seem to have a clear role. Y you haven't seen anything really from a player of his quality so far in this tournament. Bruno Fernandes has shone, but I think he's had more of a, a responsibility further up the field. And that's why, really. Um, Ruben Neves had a bit of a knock. We'll see if he starts uh, in midfield as well. But yeah, you know, I, I, you know, they started the last game just because of rotation with width. And they just looked miles better to me. So yeah, that was that's all I really have to say about Portugal. I mean, we have to mention too that uh, Ronaldo was given some pretty cold shoulder comments by the manager um, Fernando Santos in the, in the press conference in the build up to this game. After he kind of, well, he he says he didn't think he stormed off against against South Korea, but um, then he's, he's he later realised that he had. So he made no bones about the fact that. Um, wasn't happy about that and then you know there's all distraction about where he's going to be where he's going to be playing his club football when, the, when this World Cup's over so you kind of get the feeling that Fernando plays he's going to have to deliver he really has going to have to, is going to have to deliver because there's a lot of a lot, a lot of baggage that's coming with him at the moment and as we say it looks looks to us that he's part of the reason that a lot of really talented footballers in that in that starting 11 aren't really shining and there's the whole kind of bandwagon that comes with them as well. So Ronaldo, if he starts, and that, that probably is an F, isn't it? No, it's not. He's starting. Absolutely, he's starting. Okay. It's Cristiano Ronaldo. Come on, man. I but. think he'll start, yeah. But, he, but, you know, the manager could have quite easily shut that down in the press conference. Yeah. And he didn't. Yeah, he chose right. not to. So, and he's clearly not because happy. I, so as I say, yeah. I think he's going to have to deliver or else he'll be getting hooked again in 60, yeah. 65 minutes. But I think one of the, the reasons that Santos has been like that is he's had to manage Ronaldo for so long 
and try and keep a, a, a changing room culture, basically. I think it's worth him sending a little message to Ronaldo just to say, yeah, I know you're CR7, but, you know, I can't have things like that. Uh, you know, we, we, I don't think it's enough for him to drop him. Um, and I'm sure they've had a conversation, but I think it was a, a way of maybe sending a little bit of a message, applying a little bit of pressure to Ronaldo as well to perform. And, and but I think he will give him a start in birth. Absolutely. If Switzerland defend how they defended against Serbia, they're not going through and Ronaldo will definitely score. I do need to say that. Like there was not enough pressure from their defensive line um, on the likes of Mitrovic and Vlajevic in that game. They scored three, obviously, um, to come through with victory. But if they defend like that again, Portugal and not just Ronaldo, the other great attacking players that they have are going to have a lot of fun. But so if, as they much defend, as I, if they defend like they did against Brazil, then yeah, they'll yeah, have a yeah. chance. So yeah, again, yeah. this is another team that's been slightly inconsistent, but I think they look quite well balanced on the whole. Um, I agree. I think this is probably the most finely poised tie of the round of 16. That's why I gave them a six and a half slash seven. Okay, so we agree. That's all <laughs> yeah, I'm saying. We uh, we're going to react to both of those two games tomorrow, of course. Loads of great journalism on the Times app right now. You can check out a great story about Jude Bellingham and what makes him such a great player. Um, but yeah, make sure you're back with us tomorrow. We'll be seeing if Portugal and maybe Spain are meeting each other in the next round. Will it be Morocco or Switzerland? Um, remember, you can subscribe at thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. Don't miss one of our daily episodes either. Just hit that notification button and we'll see you tomorrow. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,